Our healthcare delivery system is completely based on illness. It's not based on wellness. Models like ours are still somewhat unique because we're one of the few that actually get compensated for keeping people outside of the hospital and keeping them healthy. But if you're a patient, what do you want? Do you want your hospitals, doctors, drug companies making money because you're sick or because you're healthy? I think all of us want to be healthy. That's Dr. Gorof Dial from ChainMed, who's here to talk about their work keeping the Medicare Advantage population healthy, far away from a doctor's office or hospital. ChainMed's consumer-centric model is one where patients ideally walk out of a clinic saying one thing: "Wow, this is really cool." The Oliver Wyman Health Podcast is brought to you by the global management consulting firm Oliver Wyman. For more on today's show, check out our show notes and visit our healthcare publication, Oliver Wyman Health, at health.oliverwyman.com. We invite you to subscribe so you're notified when a new episode goes live. Thanks, and enjoy today's show. Hello, and welcome to the Oliver Wyman Health Podcast. I'm Sam Glick, partner here in the Health and Life Sciences practice at Oliver Wyman. In this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Gaurav Dial, President of New Markets and Chief Growth Officer at ChinMed. Gaurav, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Sam. It's a pleasure being here. So, Gaurav, before we dig in, uh, I know that uh, ChinMed is doing all sorts of exciting things, but for our listeners who may not be familiar with what you do, tell us a little bit about ChinMed. ChinMed is a primary care group that focuses on low to moderate income seniors. We take full capitated risk on Medicare Advantage members and really pride ourselves on our combination of you know, really exceptional customer care and exceptional clinical outcomes. We started literally as a mom and pop practice in South Florida, in Miami, almost 30 years ago. And over the past you know, two and a half decades, and especially in the last five years or so, have really expanded nationally. We now are in eight states. We have over 60 clinics. And uh, over the past few years, have really um, focused a lot on Medicare Advantage and really providing exceptional service to seniors across the country. You know, it's it's interesting. There's a as, as you know well, there's a lot of uh, activity in this space. You know, Medicare Advantage has created uh, a lot of incentives for people to focus on the neediest and the sickest populations, which I think is is good for healthcare and good for everybody. But you know, many of those coming at this are you know I'm doing air quotes here around my microphone are startups, right? Or they're big, uh, well-funded, well-capitalized experiments. And you know, to me, one of the most interesting parts of GenMed is that you started 30 years ago as a mom and pop community practice. How'd that evolution happen? How did you go from being, you know, a community practice in one market to being in eight states and, you know, one of the names that people rattle off when they talk about these new models? Yeah, you know, it's a very interesting story. And I give our founders, uh, Dr. James Chen and Mary Chen, all the credit for this. Literally, Dr. James started the practice as a solo practice. And over time, he started realizing that there were a lot of members who had chronic conditions. A lot of the timing was around the time when, you know, the initial rollouts of uh, capitation around Medicare members were happening. And he started, he jumped into it very early on. And, you know, there was a, I'd say a significant learning curve, but he was very successful doing that. The company in its initial iteration was still, you know, I think they went from one to two or three practices and was a very Miami-centric company for the better part of two decades. What happened uh, about, you know, six to seven years ago was plans started coming to us saying that we think you are the best Medicare Advantage group from uh, outcomes and quality and customer service perspective. 
can we help take you nationally? So several plans helped us to fund our growth in uh, other markets. We launched a joint venture actually initially with Humana called GenCare, which launched in five states. And that was that was very successful. And subsequent to that, we've launched in multiple states as a fully owned entity called ChenMed under another brand as well, Dedicated Senior Medical Centers, which has been our current growth. I think a lot of it really boils down to the fact that over time, based on the foundations that were uh, laid by Dr. James and Mary Chen, we've really been able to focus on getting this right, both from a customer service perspective and a clinical model perspective. And folks notice that. I think maybe part of it is also that at one point, uh, one of your consulting competitors, I guess, for lack of a better word, had told Chris Chen, our, our CEO, there's two rules for uh, medical groups in this country. One is that risk-based models do not work outside of California, Texas, and Florida, and there's no such thing as a nationally scaled clinical group in this country. Chris took that as a personal challenge, and I think over the past few years, we've tried to prove that that's not the case. And as we continue to expand, um, we're about to enter our uh, Ohio, which is going to be our eighth state this summer, actually in a few weeks. And I think we're one of the few PCP groups in the country and actually one of the few, I think, healthcare systems in the country that's actually expanded successfully in multiple markets and continues to do so. Well, I'm glad that Chris took the challenge, and I won't make too many snide remarks about taking advice from consultants, given that I live in a glass house over here. I am curious, so what's your secret? What works? This is a, sure, you've got to get incentives aligned, but this is a tricky population to treat. How do you make it work? We make it work by putting the patient at the center of everything. And that may sound very basic, but as you know from your experience in healthcare, and as I know coming from you know a clinical background and then a hospital background, that isn't actually how the U.S. healthcare system functions, right? Think of basic things just as physician availability, availability of uh, hospital hours or uh, outpatient hours, or even going to the pharmacy. Everything is really built around our by our, I mean the provider's convenience, not the patient's convenience. And as a result of that, we've created this system where the patients are, you know, often left out. Uh, they feel disenfranchised, and they find the healthcare system to be very complex. What our secret sauce, for lack of a better word, is to really put the patient's needs at the middle of everything we do, and build a clinical care model that that actually does two things: provide exceptional clinical care so that they, we can manage their chronic diseases but at the same time, provide exceptional customer service. And our success is really, I would say it's a seesaw. They both have to be happening for us to be successful because you can get exceptional clinical care, you know, at big name places, maybe not for chronic diseases, but at least for acute care. And you can get exceptional customer service at, you know, name the name the brand, right? But in healthcare, very rarely are you able to get both things. And I think we are one of those rarities that have focused really on both things in parallel and realizing that you need both of those things to happen. So for example, we pick up patients from their homes. If a patient calls us at, let's say four o'clock on a Friday afternoon and says, doc, I'm not feeling good, we tell them to come in. So we welcome people to walk into our clinics. We spend a lot of time with them. We work around their convenience. We provide you know, their part D generic drugs in our clinic so that we don't have to give them a prescription that then they have to go maybe to Walgreens or CVS or whatever, may or may not get filled. So we do a lot of things that honestly are very logical, but what's amazing to me is uh, how unique these things are because I'd say of the lack of logic and lack of incentives across the US healthcare spectrum. You know, it's, it's interesting because I think 
what you say, you know, at its simplest level seems very straightforward, but, you know, having been inside a lot of places, it's hard to do in practice. And in particular, it's hard to build a culture at one location. It's really hard to build that kind of culture in eight states. How do you do that as you expand? How do you take, you know, physicians and others who have trained and practiced in the very traditional healthcare system and bring them in and say, we want to show you a new way? Um, you know, I spend a lot of time, and I think as a company, we spend a lot of time talking about this and figuring out how to make things better and how to expand and scale rapidly. So a few things. One, I would say at a, at our very core, we are exceptionally standardized. Exceptionally, exceptionally, exceptionally standardized, which, um, did I say that exceptionally? It's exceptionally. <laughs> which uh, you will see across our operations. For example, the clinical care model is extremely standardized around CHF management, diabetes management. And on the other side, on the operation side, our clinics are literally, you know, there's been some iterations over the years, but for example, every clinic, we're opening eight clinics in the next few weeks, they look identical. And in some ways, it's a bit discombobulating because I'll be in Jacksonville one morning and then Philadelphia that evening, and you're a little lost because everything looks the same. The purpose behind that is to really create a very standardized offering that you can scale and it reduces variation, again, on both components, on the clinical care as well as the uh, service side. Then what we do is we continue to refine that process. And as we learn, and you know, it's the word uh, fail fast concept, we try new things. Once they're successful, because we have a standardized approach, we can then start varying that approach. I think the problem we see in typical healthcare uh, environments are, since there's no standardization, any innovation is Brownian motion, right? Because you didn't have a standardized platform, so how are you going to vary that platform? In our case, what happens is we are very standardized. The effect of the change can be seen pretty quickly, and if it's successful, then it can be implemented broadly pretty quickly. I think another thing that is very helpful in our case is the focus, right? So we focus on a very specific subset of the population low to moderate income seniors in underserved areas that have Medicare Advantage and have chronic problems. Because of that, and think of this from a clinical perspective, you know, I'm a doc, and over the course of a day, you know, our a typical primary care doctor has a lot of patients, right? There are average panels of 2,500, 3,000. Our doctors have 450. But even within those 450, there's a lot of similarity in those patients versus a typical doc who, let's think of a family practitioner who maybe at 11 a.m. is seeing, you know, a baby, and then at 11.20 is seeing an 85-year-old with four chronic conditions. It is very difficult to drive results when you have to see different variations of populations. So I think the focus really helps. I think Within the focus, the fact that we have very small panel sizes really helps, and that helps us, again, standardize. And then finally, I think one thing that's been a lot of investment has been made by the company over the years is around training. We really spend a lot of time, not just for our, for our PCPs, but also for our staff around training. So for example, a new PCP who joins us, even if they've had 25 years of experience, they undergo about a whole month of training. And a lot of docs are like, well, I've been a doctor for you know 25 years. What, what are you guys going to teach me <laughs> that I don't already know? There's a lot we're going to teach you. We're going to teach you, we call it deprogramming doctors, because in a fee-for-service environment, the interactions, the service outcomes, and what they do is very different than what we do in a full risk model that is truly focused on keeping patients healthy. So I think those three things are really critical for us. And look, uh, to be fair, we continue to learn as well. I'm not saying we have it fully figured out. Every market we launch, we learn something new. 
But as we launch, you know, probably another four to five markets over 12 months, I think these learnings are going to come in handy and we'll continue to refine them. So I'm curious about the the patient piece as you think about your new markets. You say that you, you target low to moderate income seniors. How does that work? When you come into a new market, are you relying on a partner for that? Is there a particular marketing approach? How do you get the right people into your practice? Yeah, it's a combination of a few factors. So when we enter a market, we sign up with plans, typically, let's say, three to four health plans who have either you know, expressed interest in working with us and in many cases sponsored us from a capital perspective. And we then work with them and their sales and marketing team to attract members uh, throughout the year, but much, much uh, focus around the AEP, the open enrollment period. The second thing we do is we have our own sales folks. They're called the market growth consultants who basically go out into the community. And for example, when we launched in Philly, we had several members of our uh, sales team go out and meet people in the community. Our doctors went out, gave talks on hypertension, stroke, and really do a very grassroots uh, approach to the market. So we, for example, will go to African-American churches and talk about hypertension in African-Americans. And our docs will do that. Our uh, sales staff will go to you know, uh, a picnic and put up a booth. I think the most important thing, though, is the patients and themselves. Ultimately, our success in every market is driven by how patients perceive us. We can sell as much as we want, and so can the plans, but the patients have to walk out of this experience saying, wow, this is really cool. I feel really good about my doctors and my clinical care team and about myself, how I feel after coming to a ChenMed clinic. So I think if you look at our long-term success in any market, it's really word of mouth, and which we measure you know, in, through net promoter scores, through a variety of measures, but really giving the patient that experience that makes them your promoter, which over time is really what drives the growth of the business. Right. I mean, that's terrific. And it, it reinforces that you're doing the right thing, I imagine, as well. Uh, and I'm curious about the plan partnerships. What lessons have you learned there about how to work with health plans? And just what's your take on where Medicare Advantage and the plans that provide that coverage are going in general? I think Medicare Advantage is on a pretty significant growth clip, as you all know from your work at Oliver Wyman as well. I, I don't know, the recent numbers are around 8 to 9% CAGR. What, 35 to 40% of enrollees are either in MA or picking MA. Yeah. And depending on the plan you talk to, I think the projections are around 50%. So this is a significant growth opportunity. And I think there's a lot of reasons why the market's growing the way it is. I think a lot of it is driven by the benefit design and also just the success that I think CMS has had with this program because despite administration changes, it seems like MA continues to be a part of the healthcare delivery model from CMS that both sides seem to agree on. If you talk to our plan partners, some are maybe a bit more optimistic than others, and maybe all their market shares add up to a lot more than 100%, but they're all pretty bullish on it. And in fact, in the last, I'd say, 24 months, a lot of new entrants into MA from two funnels. One is plans that did not have MA offerings, existing plans that are uh, now jumping into that. And at the same time, you're seeing de novo plans that are coming out and launching specifically on MA. So I think that this will continue to happen. And that's been a huge boost to us. And if you look at our growth rate, it's really accelerated over the past few years. I mean, our current CAGR is around 38% running for the past few years in a row, much of which is because of the parallel growth in MA. To your first question around plan partnerships, plans are key to our success in every market. We work, I'd say, almost with every national plan and obviously with many regional plans as we enter a market. There is varying levels of sophistication from a plan perspective. Some plans have been doing MA for a long time and are much more at scale than others. 
That being said, we are able to honestly help them in many ways also because two things that are very critical for us to be successful is data, which a lot of plans do struggle with. But given our standardization, we're pretty prescriptive around what kind of data feeds we need from a plan for us to take full risk. And a lot of plans appreciate that, especially the ones that are new to risk-bearing provider groups as ourselves. And the second is joint marketing and sales, which is very critical, right? Because in most markets, we are working with a select group of plans. So our success is contingent on the ability to garner members with those plans. And likewise, right, the plans are working with us and one of their goals is to grow market share, get better outcomes, get better cost controls. So there's a lot of alignment on that and we work very, very closely with plans in uh, accomplishing that. So what's next? Where does ChinMed go from here? We continue to grow. We have very grand aspirations for 2020. Well, before I get to 2020, in 2019, I guess a plug, we're opening in Columbus on August Congratulations. Thank you. We're excited. It's actually a very novel partnership with Ohio Health, which is a large integrated delivery system in that market. It's new for us to work with an IDS, but we're very excited and we see a lot more opportunities down that path. We're also launching on the same day in West Palm Beach with three clinics there as well. And we continue to expand in our existing market. So 19 is going to be a big year. Uh, last year in 18, we launched in four cities. I think 20 is going to be a big year for us. As you can imagine, about a year away from next year's launches. So finalizing where we're going, I can't share it right now, but I'd be pretty surprised if we are not in at least three to four more cities. If we talk next time next year, I can tell you where we are. Exciting stuff. Um, I think I, th- I think one thing that's not going to change is our focus. We, As you can imagine, given our success in MA, we get asked a lot if we can diversify and do commercial risk, do Medicaid risk. At the moment, the answer is no. There's two reasons for that. A lot of our success, as I mentioned earlier, is driven by the fact that we focus very much so on one segment of the population. We have a lot of room to even do better there. We haven't figured out, and we're not perfect, right? We're still learning. And I think that's something that's not going to change. And the second thing is our focus on the patient. We've been successful because of that. That's really core to our beliefs. And we don't see that changing, or nor do we see a significant change in the business model in the short term. There's some real wisdom in that. I think it's, you know, you're at that point where it can get very tempting to expand. But if focus is what's, uh, expand the, the populations you serve, but if focus is what's made you successful, uh, it sounds like you're on a path that's likely to continue that focus, which is great. Yeah. And it is tempting because there's a lot of, you know, a lot of opportunities if you look outside, even beyond MA. And it's hard to say no, but some of your listeners, maybe some of our plan partners or partners we're talking to right now, they know that the conversations always veer down the same path about, oh, you guys are great at MA. What about Medicaid? And I'm like, nope, we cannot do it. We don't feel confident that we can deliver the same outcomes. And we're also worried that we're going to dilute our effectiveness on our core business model. Yeah. Well, and there's there's plenty of Medicare Advantage patients still to help. So the good news is you're in a growing market. Correct. So my final question, we ask this of everybody. Hopefully you've had a little bit of time to think about it. But Gaurav, if you had no limitations on resources, on money, on talent, on time, you could do anything and be king for a day. What's the one thing you'd fixed about healthcare? You know, my answer stems from, I think, two areas. One as a, you know, somebody, uh, you know, as a primary care doc, but probably as much so from my mom, uh, who passed away about two years ago, who had a chronic illness towards the last few years of her life. And both of those experiences have really shaped my view of where I want things to go and how I'm spending my time. And if I could write the rules, it would really be putting the patient and their health at the middle of the healthcare system. 
it sounds like a, something, a very basic concept, but it's not, right? Our healthcare delivery system is completely based on illness. It's not based on wellness. Models like ours are still somewhat unique because we're one of the few that actually get compensated for keeping people outside of the hospital and keeping them healthy. But if you're a patient, what do you want? Do you want your hospitals, doctors, drug companies making money because you're sick or because you're healthy? I think all of us want to be healthy. It's you know the most valuable thing we have in our lives. And I think that I would love a system that actually if I could, you know, overnight change it, would be around one that really engages with patients, incentivize patients, incentivize providers to keep people healthy. As a nation, we spend the most dollars of any in the world on healthcare, and I think we also have the best talent in healthcare across the world. If we could redeploy these dollars and talent to keeping people healthy, I think it's just going to be an amazing, amazing outcome. And I'm hoping that we're slowly getting there, but not as fast as I'd like to. Well, here's, here's hoping we get there and hoping ChinMed continues to play a part uh, in moving in that direction. Uh, Dr. Gaurav Dial, thank you for joining us. Good luck with the continued expansion at ChinMed, and thanks for making the time. Thanks, Sam. It was a pleasure. It's always great catching up, and I look forward to seeing you soon. Likewise. The Oliver Wyman Health Podcast is brought to you by the global management consulting firm Oliver Wyman. If you enjoyed today's episode, check out our other executive conversations on the business of transforming healthcare, featuring guests like Comcast, Aetna, Humana, Castlight, and many more. We invite you to subscribe so you'll be notified whenever a new podcast goes live. For more on today's episode, follow us on Twitter at OW Health Editor and visit our online healthcare publication, Oliver Wyman Health, at health.oliverwyman.com. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.